Boiled That's Owl outtakes. We have, yeah, we recorded all. <laughs> yeah, well, the the end of some of our episodes are really fun. You know, <laughs> have after you we finished. No, I, I always add something on after the music. Oh, always. I'll have to check that yeah, in my it's good stuff in my app. Well, I probably need to mention that. <laughs> it's it's kind of like listening like for the some. bell at the end of a guided meditation. It's an Easter egg. It would yeah. be an Easter egg if we played it backwards or something. Welcome to the Boil Down Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live and lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. We're Riff and Raff, the Rebellion Dogs. I'm Don. I'm Sam. Hey, <laughs> Sam. Don, I never know what you're going to pull on me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd like the Rebellion Dogs. I so love much. that. Rebell- I, I still, I know they exist as a, as a group somewhere, but I want to be somewhere where there's a Rebellion <laughs> Dogs AA group. Well, you know, the Boiled Owl, we're all about uh, obscure references to the big book. And that's the 12 and 12, though. Uh, rebellion Dogs yeah. is 12 and 12. Rebellion Dogs are every step. <laughs> How you been? Oh, I'm uh, I'm doing a lot better than I think I am. <laughs> well, it's the truth. <laughs> Everything in my life at this moment is really good. I oh, mean, well, I you should a, just wait for that to stop. I have no financial difficulties. I've got no stress with work. Everything in my house is taken care of. I, my wife and I are right now at a period of just. A great relationship. It is smooth. And I sat down to do my morning prayer and meditation. This is two days ago. I was breathing and I ran down my character defects. And the first one was God to, to remove my fear. And I always like draw up and see if, it, if it's active anywhere in my life. And it was right there. My stomach was in a knot and I was like going, I got to be on guard. Uh, I'm anxious, you know. Mm-hmm. But absolutely everything in my life is smooth right now, which tells me I'm doing it to myself. The I, fear, the, the the anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I would like for there to be something wrong that I can point to that that's what it is, and I'm anxious about oh that. God. But I, I don't need that. I relate to this so so strongly because <laughs> when I look at my life. Things are going really well right now, yet mine's not like anxiety, but I, actually there is some anxiety underlying it, I guess, but it's more like it, it's the first layer is I'm pissed off. Mm-hmm. I, I have noted myself walking around with a knitted brow, and it's like, why am I so angry or, or easily angered right now? And uh, And it's one of those things of, there's nothing that I'm angry about. It's, it's weird being an alcoholic. This might be human. I don't know if it's human or alcoholism. Well, you know we alcoholics are humans. We, we are humans. Uh, but 
<laughs> One thing that we do is that is that we apply the program to yeah. the problems we have in our life. Yeah. So the way I approach it is I, I had a therapist I went to one time. I was talking about this kind of thing, having this. I, I, I'm more spiritually developed than this. I, I, <laughs> Spiritual I, gas giant. I, I, I always get the opportunity. <laughs> and I should be working my program better. And I should be able, you know, at this stage in my recovery to be able to let go. Yet sometimes when I meditate and I become really calm, I can find that little knot of anxiety that's there that's hard to let go of. I can't like let go of the last little bit. It like wants to stay. And he said, what? That's good. That's good. <laughs> it's like Look one- at you holding yourself to standards that no one would ever hold anyone to. <laughs> no, he said... You, what it is, is why don't you look at it and turn it to a positive thing? It's a check engine soon light. Ooh. So if you've got that, it's like, okay, here it is. Here's the thing. I've got to let go right now, right here. This is the point. I found it. I like I've that. I've got to let that go. check so. engine soon light. Yeah, so little mechanic tune-up. So we're a lot like click and clack the Tappet brothers, except we're riff and raff. And we're both the alive. rebellion dogs. And we're both alive. Oh, yes, and we're both alive. <laughs> That's another <laughs> big benefit going point. for us. So so I did. I, I got very clear about my um, anger issue, my, my short, actually no fuse um, mm-hmm. is how I took it to my sponsor. It's like I sat down with him uh, a little over a week ago, and it's like, I've got this thing, and it's that I get pissed off over nothing right now. And I know what I need to do because I've done it before. And and God, this is so true. I have quit meditating as many times as I quit drinking. Oh, yeah. And so meditation is what I need to pick up. And uh, and that's what, you know, I I brought to him. And he was like, yeah, you're you're probably right. And and so I have taken on meditating daily for at least, um, uh, I've been doing the guided meditations on an app. So it's six minutes at minimum, mm-hmm. 10 minutes max, that type of thing. And it helps for a moment, but that's one of the things that I know. Is it's that practice, Sam. It's, well, it's a cumulative effect. Mm-hmm. And so I have been doing that since that meeting with him. I have meditated daily. And I've talked with people about it, which helps me with my accountability in doing it as well. You know, I know that the the results will present. Um, I've experienced it before. I had a a fantastic experience with meditation and the effects that it had on me. And it was so amazing that the whole reason that I was meditating when that conference that I was helping to run finally was done, I completely stopped meditating. I don't know why we quit doing (laughs) the things that work. (laughs) Because I have the brain of a chronic alcoholic and it wants to kill me. And it wants to kill me. (laughs) That's what it. That's the way it is. We have a guest. We do have a guest. Hi, he, guest. Hello. State your name. My name is Patrick, and I am glad to be here. <laughs> hey, Patrick. Glad you're here. Patrick, are you an alcoholic? I am an alcoholic. I've been an alcoholic for you know a long time. Long time. When long did you time. get sober? I got sober uh, September twenty eighth, nineteen ninety. So just celebrated 29 years. So you've been a sober alcoholic for a long time, yeah. too. <laughs> yes. That's nice. Speaking it has of been. an old timer. It has been. Ooh, he's older than your timer. Yeah, he's... Time for timer. timer. In fact, I'm so excited for you to be here, Patrick, because 
Patrick was one of the first people that I met in AA. And the, the very first week that uh, I met you, and so I'm going to tell the story. Good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's, a good that's a good story. Yeah. Uh, it was uh, the first Sunday that I was sober. I had come in on Monday. There was a speaker meeting in the neighborhood, and three guys, one of them, Russ, was my first sponsor. He said, well, we walk to this meeting, and we'll, we'll walk by and pick you up. I said, okay. And I was waiting in the afternoon and the time for the meeting got closer and closer and it's the end of my life. And of course, and I have, and there's never going to be any more fun again. And it's, it's a miserable existence and I've got to exist in it and it's okay. I'm going to quit drinking and you know, it's just miserable. And I hear all this laughter outside look out on the street and there's three guys there, Patrick, Russ, and uh, and another guy, and they're all smoking cigars, as was their want <laughs> every yes. week, and they're yes. walking down, they're going, Don, get on out here! And it was like they were happy, joyous, and free. And, and that just pissed you off even more, didn't it? No, it was really attractive. Oh, good. And... and uh, <laughs> I, yeah. It meant it meant so much to me, and so the, that's when our relationship started. And I've learned so much from you in the early days of recovery, as well as still today. Yes, we've had a great opportunities to share a lot uh, recently with our bouts of uh, health and mm-hmm. getting closer to death and having to deal with that. So that's always <laughs> like, that's always that's what? a great way to put it. <laughs> So, the meditative way to say would be to meditate on your own impermanence. Ooh, okay. That's, hey, I got to throw this out yeah. there with, yeah. with the check engine thing that you just saw uh, mentioned. I, I saw a meme this morning that was like some wild horse tearing off through the, the wilderness. And it was like, all right, y'all, you enjoy your 20s, 30s, and 40s. And then the next thing, next frame was a, an older dude sitting there. Because when your 50s hit, that check engine light's coming on. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, that's it. So what do you mean? What what has happened with you that you did you just escape death? Well, I had that well, no, not death, but you just had that that scare, you know. Mm-hmm. So I had the uh procedure on my head, so I had a melanoma taken off. You know, you just have to deal with that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that you're not permanent. And you you have that period of not knowing, you know, whether right. it, whether it's going to be worse something that they can take care of or something that you're going to have to battle for years and and then pass away so i had all good news mine was I'm all glad good news. you had some good news i i have been through my health scares and uh but mine have been like i'm going to kill you right now <laughs> rather than here's something here have a procedure and now you need to wait for a while to find out if i'm going to kill you so i i um i don't envy the position you were in to just have to wait for the news no, it was it was uh, difficult, I think, but uh, you know, meditation helps. Uh, never thought about taking a drink, so there wasn't that kind of uh, pain. But I did remember back to uh, after you had a scare, Don. We we had a nice walk on the beach mm-hmm. after we were in Wilmington, mm-hmm. and I remember walking down that road, and you were. I just got out of the hospital after having a stroke. Yes. Uh, and I, I, my right arm was paralyzed for, it wasn't paralyzed, but I lost the feeling in the, in the top of my right arm, which is, I still have some from that stroke. 
It's because you wouldn't drop the rock, Don. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I dropped everything. I couldn't hold it. I mean, I lost the feeling in my hand. Well, yeah. For the for the people who were not in the know, which are everyone except for the three of us, yes. we were at a Drop the Rock workshop that's right. going on down there at Wilmington that weekend. And Quick, that's, that's what when is you Drop the Rock? Drop the Rock is this fantastic book on steps six and seven, the shortest steps in the big book and the hardest and longest ones to do. Well yeah. put. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a good conference. And so we were walking on the beach. We were walking on the beach, and uh, you were talking about facing that impermanence. Mm -hmm. And I was just listening and going, yeah, yeah, that's something we all have to do. And then, you know, then it comes to be my turn. And and I'm thinking that, you know, I was we were walking down that beach access, and it's very similar to your coming out of the out of your house. I mean, that 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 walk down your your pathway to the mm -hmm. street where we picked you up so many years ago. Mm -hmm. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> I was, you know, so I, I, I've seen you at, at both of those times and it's, you know, it's nice. That's what this is about. I think for me has been the connections that you make that bring the spirituality to life, you know? Yeah. Cause I didn't have that before. Before what? Before getting sober. Oh. You know, I, I don't think I had those connections, those real connections with people. Probably because of me, not because of them. Mm -hmm. I get that. Yeah, um, I'm feel I feel compelled to to say something. Um, so we lost Blair. Yeah, yeah. Blair was on the podcast twice. Yeah, he's um, been on a couple. He times. had a, 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 as a solo guest with us, and then once as part of the surgery special. Right. And recently died. Uh, Blair was a sponsor of mine at one point, and I know a good friend of yours. Good friend. And the grace with which that man went through the end of his life was absolutely attractive. It was unreal. Uh, I remember being in the last meeting that I was in with him, making a mental note to remember this because this is likely that last meeting. But he, his levity and his love... And the people who loved him and showed up for him were absolutely amazing. And those are the things that, were I not sober, I would not get to have. Were he not sober, no way that would have shown up. And I, I think the same for all of us. And uh, I just wanted to, to yeah. I wanted to bring up Blair, and particularly in light of our conversation right now about yeah. impermanence and, and, and facing things with grace. He really accepted his situation and was determined to, because he got a notice, okay, there's nothing more we can do. you got four weeks to live. And he was like, uh, well, he was bedridden the last week, but up till that, he, he was moving around. He was going to meetings and everything, and he, he had a great sense of humor. He was determined in his last year to live life to the fullest and to get everything out of every moment of life. So, and he worked the program in an incredible way. And this is what I got from that. He could have been and have every reason to be angry and resentful. And he didn't do it. Yeah. He just, he wanted to, to be with his family and be with his friends. And he did, and he brought the last meeting he went to, and this was two and a half weeks before he died. He was in there laughing and having just enjoying everybody's company. 
And at the end, they said, uh, anybody raise your hand if you uh, uh, are available to be a temporary sponsor. And he raised his hand and was laughing his head off. And they were going, Blair? And he was going, it doesn't get more temporary than this. God, I love that. That's wonderful. What? That's wonderful. <laughs> Oh man, he's a beautiful. He was he was a beautiful spirit, and yeah. in fact, I was thinking of him today when I was doing my morning meditation. In terms of, I thought about my wife laughing, and the, I had been reading this Buddhist reading about love exists, and we tap into it, but it exists through now, into the back, into the past, and into the future. It's all going on. It's like the the love is love is constant. So for me, that kind of communication and everything, as you said, Patrick, it's I, that's what a higher power is to me. That's where it is. Yeah. And I was thinking of my uh, of my wife's love, and then it made me think of Blair and the love that he was exhibiting at the end. And I have a sponsee who had on his gratitude list about his wife laughing in the kitchen. He was grateful for that. And and then I thought of my mother, and I could see her when I was like eight years old and her laughing, and that love was still, it's all here inside of me now. It existed then, it exists now, and it exists into the future if I carry it. So I kind of just like felt connected by following down that path. I love that. That's beautiful. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's what I, yeah, that's, I wish I could explain my higher power that well. What? That would be like my higher power, but I can't explain it that well. Well, but now that's it's recorded. It. Yeah, good. I can listen to this then. Be I can use it. Yeah. So tell that's me about, it. tell that's me beautiful. about getting sober. Getting sober was, uh, was tough because I, I, I just didn't think I had a, I didn't think I was alcoholic. I, I didn't really understand what that was. I didn't really understand alcoholism. I thought I didn't know how to drink, and I just needed to learn how to drink. And I had failed for so so long and tried so many different ways. And um, we ended up going to marriage counseling, and the marriage counselor turned out to be a certified substance abuse counselor. And in the first meeting, she asked about my drinking. That's when you know, she said, well, I think you've got a drinking problem. And I said, well, yeah, I'd really like to learn how to do this. And she said, no, you're an alcoholic. <laughs> uh, you can never drink again. And I re my first response to her was, do you mean like when I'm 84 and playing golf, I, I can't drink? And she said, no, never again. If You know, you got this disease, you can't drink again. And I was like, I can't believe that. Right. But then she taught me. And then and so I spent the first 90 days of my sobriety uh, going to that certified substance abuse counselor, marriage counselor. Wow. From September, October, November. I was going twice a week, then once a week, and then once every other week. And <clears throat> Well, wait a minute. I want to know what your drinking was like. Oh, you want to know what my drinking was like? I mean, uh, why, uh, why did you have feel like you needed to control it? What, how, how bad was it? Was it like you were, I, you were married? I, had, I, had, I was married. I had a Jekyll and Hyde. Thing. I would be, you know, a pretty bad guy. I would do things that that I wouldn't want to do. Mm -hmm. Would be against my moral code mm -hmm. um, when I got drunk. So I would constantly try to go to that line where it's good, you know. And um, I think Clancy says you can either control your drinking or enjoy it, one or the other. 
<laughs> yeah. I can yeah. control it and not oh, enjoy yeah. it, or I can enjoy it and not control it. And that was that was the story of my battle. And every once in a while, I would lose the battle and not control it. So you, at the end, you were trying to you were controlled, trying to be a controlled drinker. Trying to be a controlled drinker. That last week, I probably let loose in Raleigh. That was the last night I got drunk in a hotel. Yeah. Wow. And then coming home, I would I would stop somewhere on the way back. I was a traveling salesperson. I'd stop and put a beer between my legs and drink a beer before I got home to try and take the edge off. And a couple martinis at home, but I was always fighting with that line. Yeah. You know, I heard someone share in a meeting recently talking about uh, normal people, non-alcoholics, saying that they can control their drinking. And the thought that popped into my head as soon as I heard them say that was... Yes, but someone who's not an alcoholic doesn't have to control it. Absolutely. They don't. They don't have to control it. And I didn't realize till after I had gone to a couple of meetings and I heard people say, you know, I never realized, but my wife and my mother-in-law would leave a half glass of wine and I couldn't figure that out. Yeah. And I saw, and then I go like, yeah, they did. That's not my mother, controlling That's not drinking. controlling your drinking. That's, that's take just it stop. or leave yeah, it. It's yeah. just like, I don't care. Oh, is that still at the sink? I'm like, I'm watching that thing. <laughs> so, you know, is somebody going to finish that? Or? Oh, yeah. I, yeah. But 100% alcoholic here. I get that. But you're right. They're not controlling it. Yeah. So, you, so did you start going to meetings from that, or this was just totally therapy? It was total therapy, and um, I, would, I think I, I knew a little bit about that AA existed. And um, I asked her once if I should go to meetings. And she said, well, I don't know. You know, it might work for you. You'll have to decide yourself what, whether you want to go to a meeting or not. Meanwhile, uh, there were a couple other guys that she had in her practice. We started getting together in a round table. And one of the guys there was uh, a guy named Reed. And um, he was going to AA meetings. And he invited me to go to a meeting. And I said, well, I guess so. I'll check it out. But the first meeting I went to was in Durham because mm-hmm. I was afraid to uh, go anywhere in Greensboro. Ooh, yeah. Oh, you didn't want to go in the town you lived in. Right. People might find out. So I went to I went to a noon meeting in Durham because I worked over there and went in a suit and a tie. And there were other guys there in a suit and tie. And they all do what we do, right? I mean, they all came up and welcomed me because it was my first meeting. I, it was a white chip in Durham for a starter chip. And they gave me some phone numbers. And I stayed in touch with some of those guys through the first maybe five, six years of sobriety. Oh, nice. Because I was working over there three days a week. I went to a noon meeting there a lot. And was that helpful? Yeah, it was really helpful to have have a place to go where I was working a lot. Even though I wasn't sleeping over there a lot, I was able to go during noon meetings. <clears throat> and I used to drink a lot at lunch in mm. previous jobs. Not so much down here, uh, but when I worked in the Midwest and in the Northeast. Business lunch. Business lunch. Yeah, well, and, and being able to go to a meeting during a time when you would drink you know, for me, when I got sober, the witching hour was right after work. I got yeah. off work at 4.30, and I knew that if I did not go to a meeting, I was going to be drinking. And for, so for that, that beginning, that's what I had to do. I had to interrupt that, that time. Yeah, me too. It was that happy hour. That's why there's happy hour. That's meetings. why there's happy hour. Yeah, yep. that's right. The, I got to say that substance abuse counselor that you were going to and not going to AA at the beginning, though— really set you up because uh, w- one of the principles of AA is we don't quit drinking forever. We quit drinking just one day at a time. Though somebody telling me, tell me I need to quit drinking forever. It was like, 
That's too much. <laughs> it could have been. I think she knew what she was doing. I, you know, needed to have that shattered, that mm. there was a way for me to control it. That the delusion has to be smashed. The delusion does. And I had a delusion. <laughs> I had a delusion that I wasn't doing it right and I, there, that I could have been taught. I, th- I, th- I, you know, I'm one of those guys that's very intelligent and I think I'm very intelligent and I figure there's a way to think my way through this. Mm-hmm. And if somebody would teach me this, I should be able to figure it out. There's so she, a way to control this. Yeah, she blew it out of the water. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. And then she taught me in those first 90 days too about the disease. So before I ever went to my first AA meeting... I bought into the disease concept. That certainly made AA a little easier to Much jump easier. into, I would think. Much easier. And yeah, it was very easy to jump in when I went to the first meeting. It's kind of like going to a treatment center and getting all the information about what alcoholism is, how it works chemically. Yeah, very all. similar. And then getting out and going to a meeting like you're supposed to. And then you got to figure out how to live. Right. Because it was bad. It was. I've said this before in meetings that... that you know, those first 90 days, I'm learning about alcoholism, and I understand it, and I know I can't drink anymore, but what I've traded for is a, uh, a, a way to learn how to control and, and not enjoy drinking to now I'm controlling and not enjoying not drinking. Say, now, what? Say that again. I, I got what you're you saying. Got it? Yeah, all, all I it's did... It's still was, all about drinking. It's all, just it's not... All, oh. Yeah, I don't have any recovery, right? I just have an understanding now that I'm not supposed to drink. So now I, I, my, my fingers you know, would crawl across the chalkboard when I couldn't drink while I was drinking. Now I have the same issue. I just can't right. drink. Don, do not insert a chalkboard sound. I would kill you. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, I yeah. wanted to. In fact, <laughs> yeah. I was thinking of it. So, yeah, I was in pretty bad shape when I got to AA. Yeah, well, that's the yeah. real sign of an alcoholic. And I didn't realize, I remember hearing about that and I was going, oh, shit, when, when somebody said that not thinking about drinking was the same as drinking. Someone who's yeah. not an alcoholic doesn't think about it. They don't ha- they don't think about when they're going to start. And- well, that I mean, I just not thinking about drinking is still thinking about drinking. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I mean, so many of our little uh, yeah. colloquialisms and such. Um that's a tough spot to be cuz I mean, at that point for for me, even though drinking was causing so many pains and problems in my life, it was still the solution. There was still something about it that was working enough or so I thought that I had to do it. And then when I quit drinking, I didn't have that something anymore, and I did not yet have a solution to my problems. So I'm in that dry period that is that thing that you just described in that. Yeah. <laughs> so, Patrick, <laughs> when did you, uh, in AA, get into AA and have something happen or discover something in AA that told you that this is good, this is going to work? Uh, the, the first meeting in Durham probably didn't. I was still in awe, not really knowing what was happening. I, I went to a meeting in Greensboro at noon, and uh, it was like the early days of Green Street, like the second meeting. Oh, wow. And I met a couple old-timers there, and they shared, and I thought, well, that sounds a little bit like me. And so it made me want to go back again. Um, but the first time I felt something was a Monday night meeting I went with Reed, that guy that I told you about, mm-hmm. and I just, for some reason, that was the first time I announced that I was an alcoholic in a meeting. Ah. So I identified, and that, and just, I remember how everybody looked at me, and my buddy Reed looked at me, and it was just like, 
you know, that pure love that we were talking about earlier. I was like, oh, I get this is going to this is going to work. I and chills. and it did tap into here. Yeah. And I, I and then I being a rule follower just did what I was told. You didn't have problems with that. I didn't have problems with it at all. Well, you know, I mean, that's the key to, to <laughs> that's the key to this, though, is is doing what you're told. Because for me, when I try to do it my way, I totally screw it up and I fool myself. But if I do it someone else's way, which is my sponsor, who I give permission to tell me what to do, which yeah. is really important for us alcoholics. Yes. Because if you don't have permission to tell me what to do, I'm going to say, fuck you. Mm-hmm. I may not say it to your face, but I'm still going to like it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, so you so got to have that. That yeah. surrender, in my way, is is that thing of asking someone else for help and then doing what they say. Get sober somebody else's way is a lot easier if you're willing. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and I was willing because I was beaten down and I had this intellectual understanding. But you know what? You can't. You can have an intellectual understanding, I could, of the phenomenon of craving, but when it comes up, you know, what do you do? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you got to have somebody to call. So I would call George and I'd say, you know, I, I don't know what to do. I, you know, I don't. And he'd say, let's go to Shoney's. And we'd go to Shoney's and we talk about it and then we'd do the steps. And then I'd say, you know, I don't know what to do, George. I, I think I, I don't think I'm an alcoholic. I had this amazing thought. I'm not sure I am an alcoholic. He said, why don't you go to a meeting? next week and, and raise your hand and say that. And I'd said that, and then you get all that feedback from AA. It I works. I love that. I'm so glad you brought that up because it's one of the things that I encourage. Uh, my, my home group has a beginner's meeting is one of our meetings and talking with beginners before the meeting. And uh, sometimes they'll have a question or, or, or statement like that or something like that. And I suggest to them, oh, we'll say that when they ask for the topic. Mm-hmm. And it is incredible how much someone who is brand new or who is questioning AA or their alcoholism or whatever can help a whole room full of drunks by bringing that up. Not only do you wind up, do I, whatever, wind up getting helped, but everybody else in that meeting gets something out of it or a lot of people in the meeting. Yeah. And that, I still remember, that was a turning point for me in in AA and I look back on it now and he told me to go there and just share that, right? So I raised my hand and I shared that, which was honest, mm-hmm. which I don't hear a lot of in discussion meetings today in my town. I don't hear a lot of honesty. You know, I, I brought up, I raised my hand and I said, honestly, I'm having a problem. Okay. Okay. You mean sharing where you are? Sharing from your heart. Mm-hmm. I, I don't hear as much of that in discussion meetings as I did back in the old days. So I say mm-hmm. that, and I'm expecting them to tell me intellectually why I am an alcoholic or for us to have a discussion. And so I was shocked when I can still remember, before I got the sentence out of my mouth, everybody laughed. It, there must have been 80 people in that <laughs> noon meeting, and they're just all cracking up, and I'm thinking, why is this funny? And then they, <laughs> then they went on to tell. Not everybody has that thought, but there's enough people in that meeting yeah. That yeah. say the exact same. Oh, yeah, I had that too, Patrick. Yeah, that's funny. That brings me back. I remember when I used to think I wasn't an alcoholic. I love that. That's, that's the way that, that happened to me at a discussion meeting. And I girded my loins <laughs> and nobody had a topic. And I'm new and I, was, I decided to bring it up and I said, 
how do you deal with the shame of being an alcoholic? <laughs> Everybody started laughing. I was going, what is it with these people? Laughing at shame? And then they went around the room and shared their experience with alcoholism. And what I learned that day was that there's no shame in being an alcoholic. Our behavior is shameful. But being unable to control my drinking, that failure, constant failure, that's what alcoholism is. So I have to accept that and do something about it. But there's no shame in it because I'm not ever going to be able to control it. So that's the place that I need to give up. That's the place where I surrender. I got a question. So okay. when you were uh, when you just now were talking about having brought that up in that discussion meeting, you you mentioned that today people aren't sharing honestly or bringing up so, something like that. What what's your experience? What are you noticing? I'm I'm noticing um, I'm noticing people discussing their problems unrelated to alcoholism. So a group therapy session. Mm-hmm. rather than an AA meeting. Right. Yeah, that's been my observation, too. I was just curious. You know, I, I love those meetings that I have been to that had um, a good, solid old-timer in there who was able to take a meeting that was going off the rails and bring it back to alcoholism. Um, I've experienced that several times over the years. I wasn't the one who did it, but I've tried myself, and, you know, practice makes perfect, maybe. But... Um, but it really is, uh, it's a sight to see when a meeting that's gone off the rails is brought back. But I've also been in a meeting where um, discussion meetings are, are just tricky. That they, are, they are. They're tricky. They're tricky. Yeah. Um, I went to a discussion meeting uh, in, a, in a neighboring city one day. I, I had had a shit day. I mean, it was, it was, I was done. Now, I wasn't going to drink or anything, but I was absolutely emotionally frazzled. And I went into the meeting. I got in there 10 minutes late and sat down and got that they still had not gotten a topic or anything. Uh, but because uh, I mean, the reading the tools and all that kind of stuff. And I shared about having a shit day. And that as I was driving home, I realized that there was a meeting going on right here. And I pulled into the parking lot so I could come in here and talk about my experience today and get some help. And not be that way. And the thing that killed me was nobody picked up on the latter part of what I shared. Everybody in there decided to share about a shit day. Mm. Um, well, that's the nature of discussion meetings. It, and, and it is. And I talked to an old-timer Some after old-timer that meeting. Some old-timers say discussion meetings are really bad. Well, they can be. They and can I talked be. with an old-timer after that meeting because I felt really bad about having brought that topic and we wound up having a shit meeting Mm -hmm. and he was like, but you have, you don't have any control over what other people share. And, and, you know, he was very helpful with me letting go of that. I've got the power to to like influence a meeting like that. Um, but it was still one of those things of, um, discussion meetings are tricky. I, I recommend to people who are chairing meetings in the beginning of their uh, journey in recovery to absolutely sign up to chair meetings. Just make sure that are literature based. Yes, because you yes. can always go back to the book. Yes, the book, and then and speaker meetings. Yes, yeah. But you could start a big book study. 
Yeah, I've gone to what I've done is just go to literature meetings or speaker yeah. meetings now. That's what I've done. And then the other thing to remember, I mean, I got to say this is like if it's if the meeting, if they're not talking about AA, then it's our responsibility with being we're not new to bring AA to the meeting. Mm-hmm. Correct. I've heard that with someone talking about, uh, well, I had complained about a meeting where they were dodging around the issue and no one spoke of higher power there whatsoever. And an old timer told me, well, it's your job to bring the higher power to the meeting. I mean, you've, you've identified the problem, br- fix it, bring it. Yeah. I, I had an old time. I mean, I complained because, uh, <clears throat> the, in, in the meeting now that not before the meeting or after, but in the meeting, people were talking about the problems they were having with their boats and hmm. the engines. I can totally relate to that. Yeah. Not. And I remember a really strong meeting about parking. <laughs> okay, there you go. But the but the old timer said to me, Yeah, you know, it's your job to bring it back, as Sam yeah. said earlier. You know, it's yeah, it's my job to do what I learned, those guys. Those guys used to say, Well, you know what, I just don't want to drink today. That's why I'm here. And I yeah. you know, I need to talk about that. Mm-hmm. But I chose to go to another meeting. And then those meetings atten- have a tendency to dwindle. Yeah. AA is self-cleaning. It is. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let's see. I want to get a nugget of something that mm. happened to you mm. in recovery. Uh, let's see what happened with you with a higher power. Is there some place where you had a higher power uh, active in your life? I've had a higher po- I have had a higher power active in my life the whole time. So I came in here with a one of the best parts about my childhood was the higher power and um, my upbringing in, in uh, a Midwestern city, you know, with a great community. So Am I, I right that you were Catholic? You were brought up Yes, Catholic. I was brought up Catholic, and it, it was a really good part of my life. It was a very modern uh, 60s kind of Catholicism. It was the new <laughs> Catholic, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I've, I've had a higher power the whole time. I've not struggled with that. And so meditation's very easy and so comforting no for me. There's no fighting there with you. There was not so fighting. from me. I know. It, I didn't fight that. I've doubted it at times. I mean, I know I went through a period where I wasn't sure how it worked beyond the 12 steps. I mean, like, why is this? How does God work? Oh, that's an easy question. Or not so much how does, not so much <laughs> oh, how does God answer. work, but how does, how, do, how does this whole AA thing work? that we stay sober. And then, you know, you, you have these certain things that you have to do and that's all it is. You know, so I stopped philosophizing it. So when I sat down with my first sponsor and finally gave in to, to work the steps and all that, um, one of the things that I, I got very clear on, you know, I, I'm a figurer outer by nature. I've got to, I've got to ponder things and figure out how they work. And I knew that I was not going to be able to stop myself from doing that with this, with this program, what I got clear on was I needed to get that out from in front of me, let that wheel spin over on the side and still do what was in front of me. Because my nature is, I got to figure it out before I do it. Right. And that would have totally gotten in the way of me actually doing the work of this program. Can't have the experience. I demand that I have the experience before I experience it. Absolutely. (laughs) What am I getting myself into? I easily, there, there was stuff going on in my life w- with children, with marriages, and, and staying sober through all that. It seemed like it was 
the sponsor I had was always applying the steps to my life. So I could see it work beyond stopping drinking. For and example. For example. What's a, what's a one event that happened where you were in a crisis? And- I think the, the, my first divorce, um, I would say, was a crisis. Uh, I was 18 months sober. My sponsor, my first sponsor who took me through the, the 12 steps had just passed away. Oh. So it was within four weeks I got a new sponsor, and then my wife decided she wanted to leave. And that was just having the rug pulled out from under you. And I remember having to do the half day at a time. I remember doing 12 hours at a time. That was about a week or two of that. Because Because I just thought I was going to drink. I thought I didn't want to drink, but I was so angry and so full of anxiety and what was going to happen and fear of the unknown and how could this happen to me and my pride was hurt and... And I thought at some point I'm going to want to pick up a drink. But you couldn't deal with the day except by taking it a half day. Half day. Time. Yeah. I would take it a half day at a time. That's then, totally. Eh? <laughs> and it, and thought, it worked. And it yeah. worked. And then. Uh, it's crazy, but it absolutely does work. I remember calling my spot. I had a uh, God, was she, my two-year-old baby who swallowed a nickel. We didn't know she swallowed a nickel, so. We took her to the doctor because she was kind of short of breath and she didn't look quite right. And it was our second child, so we weren't helicoptering her. We kind of left her <laughs> over in the corner. <laughs> and she said she threw up twice. And we were like, this isn't normal. We went to the doctor and they did an examination, just boom, right to the emergency room. And the surgeon comes in and says, you know, we took an x-ray. Your daughter swallowed a nickel. We're going to go in there. We're going to get it. And most of the time what happens is we put them under general anesthesia and the nickel just goes. Goes oh, okay. right down in your stomach. Yeah, it just okay. relaxes right now. Oh. And I remember going into the bathroom, falling on my knees, and thinking, thank God I've got AA. And I called my sponsor, Russ, and I said, Russ, what do people do in this situation if they don't have recovery? How do you get through this? I don't know how I could get through this without having somebody to call like my sponsor. I hear you. We in AA have a leg up on the rest of society, I think. Because I have this incredible network of people, and some of them are people that I don't even know. A lot of them are people I don't even know, but I can still call on them, that can help me get through life. Uh, The the ways that we're vulnerable, the the things that we share, the the way that we ask for help, um, this is not what most people in this world get to experience. And yet, I get to experience this because I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. That brings to mind two things for me. One is um, I have some sisters. None of them are alcoholic. One of them came and saw me pick up a, a four-year medallion, I think it was, at an open meeting. And she walked out of that meeting think, thinking, I wish there was something like this for me. Yeah. You know, to your point, she really wanted something like that. But now I've been around 29 years, and, I, and I've seen people who do say stay sober and don't go to AA. Mm-hmm. So I, I know... and and. AA usually says things like, you know, if, if, if this works for you, great. If, it, if you find some other way, great. Mm-hmm. You know, that's fine. And, and I've seen some other people who stay sober and don't go to meetings, don't go to AA anymore. It's not for me yeah, because of what we've just been talking about. And I have a healthy fear of, of stopping. You know, a lot of my friends and a lot of my, uh, of my social life then outside of AA is with other people in recovery. That's my experience too. Yeah. Were I to leave AA, and if I started drinking, I think I would probably leave AA, 
then uh, my social life, my experience of society would incredibly change provided I survived my drinking. It would totally be hanging out with a bunch of drunks again who aren't sober. Yeah. Um, I like sober drunks better. Right. I like sober drunks. We're, we're easier to understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I do have less tolerance for drunks now. The, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the oh, yeah. non-sober ones. I can't take the behavior. It reminds me of me. So how often do you go to meetings? Uh, three. I go to th- I start when I started I was going to five a week and then when the kids were busy probably two a week and I've settled in at three a week. And I, we'll, my home group meets twice a week. I go there. Then I go to one other speaker meeting. You've been sober a long time, still going to meetings. So yeah. why? <laughs> if, if my uh, longtime partner was here of thirteen years, she'd say that uh, that she expects on Sunday nights that I be gone. You know, you know. <laughs> yeah. That's her time. Yeah, that's her time. You go that's to AA time. to clean Yeah, I mean, we house. started walking down that path to go pick up Don, you know. Uh, to, that was a Sunday night meeting. That was. And I've been going to Sunday night meetings for, you know, 27 years. That I, I go because I need to be reminded, I do, that I can't drink. And that's, that's what I need to go to hear. I still do. It doesn't come up very often, but I know that what will come up for me since we talked earlier is that I'll think that I'm not an alcoholic, and that'll be a dangerous first step. Mm -hmm. So I don't really have a craving anymore for alcohol, but that lingering thought back there is like, wow. So that's why I go to meetings. I'd like to say it's to help other people, but but it really isn't. Um, (laughs) I really am one of the most selfish sponsors. I got four sponsees, and they help me. But that really, I mean, we are not altruistic no, I do it. To, I hang on to them. I we give it to away them. to keep it. Yes. I mean, you know, it, it, it is that You thing. know how much you help them, though. Yeah, I do. I, yeah, I, I do. I do, yes. I've had conversations, many a conversation with you that totally helped me. So this way that you're saying that and coming off being like a, <laughs> a little flippant, a little flippant yeah. is not true. There's a yeah, lot I mean, of depth and sincerity and help there coming from you. Yes, and I am generally a helper. You know, I, I think, well, it's important for those of us who are sober not to, to go to these meetings, not only to help ourselves, but it's also meetings are where the newcomers find us and can ask right. for that help of, will you sponsor me? That's or right. this is going on. What the hell do I do about it? Yeah. I mean, a newcomer sometimes might have a question for an old timer. Watch out. <laughs> Did you see that owl? I did. Oh. Soft landing. Soft landing. Splat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's starting to sound a little more like Chewbacca. <laughs> and that's Star Trek is coming up soon. <laughs> it's time for our old timer's question. Who you calling an old timer? You. That's what happens if you don't drink and you don't die. Well, no matter how long you've been sober, it's still one day at the time. Shiny. Shiny. You can ask us a question at boiledowlaa.org. We have a question from Reed from the internet. Thanks, Reed. Absolutely, Reed. It's great to hear from you. Um, Reed writes, I really like the podcast. Heard about you from a call you made to recoveredcast.com, which is another great one. I would assume that would be you, Don. That's right. I, I love recoveredcast. Um, Reed's question is, my old-timer question is, what 
is the best way to explain spiritual aspects of the program to a skeptical newcomer. Don't worry about it. Oh, mic no. drop. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't worry about it. I would just do it. We were talking about getting sober somebody else's way. This is what I had to do because I worried about it. I wanted it explained. I wanted to understand it. You touched on this, Sam. I wanted to know how it worked before I had the experience, before I asked for help. That was not useful. It's really not useful because it, it turns out it's all different than what I thought it was going to be. It's different than it could have been explained to me, I believe. Let me see. When I was in great pain at a meeting, a Sunday night meeting, a speaker meeting, a guy said, I went up to him afterwards, he was talking about depending on God. And I, it was horrible, the word God to me. It was like the most oppressive word. But he, this guy was talking about depending on God, and it was clear that he believed it, and something had happened to him. And he was really expressing that when he had pain, he could turn to this and get relief. And so I went up to him afterwards, and I, I was very new in recovery, and I was a wreck, and, and I was tearful, and I was, said, I appreciate you talking about God. And he just looked at me a, a moment, and he reached out his finger and touched my heart and said, God will help you. And it was like a bolt of lightning. <laughs> um at, he believed. Now, I talked to my sponsor, and he said, Don, do you believe I believe? And I said, well, yes. And he said, okay, just use my higher power and just do it. Just ask God to keep you sober in the morning. If you at any point during the day have any stress or want to drink, ask God to keep you sober. And you can use higher power. God doesn't care. You use whatever you want to use. You used the uh, the great nothing at one point, didn't you? <laughs> I did use the great nothing. I still think it's like praying to the great nothing. That's what the whole problem was. I didn't want to pray to nothing. What if I were to pray to nothing? I'd be a fool. And I don't want to be a fool. So I, but I was got, I just did it anyway. And what happened was, by just doing it, what they were saying, these people in AA, they're going on and on about it. It sounds like maybe they really do it. So I did it. I asked God by higher power. I did not use the word God for two years. So I'm, I'm, it's so easy. It just flows out. Because now God means that power that keeps me sober. This thing that is real in my life that I have experienced now. I've had the experience of staying sober by asking my higher power for help. So that's a real thing. This is, has nothing to do with the Sistine Chapel mm -hmm. <laughs> and paintings of old men that look <laughs> like God. Uh, it's nothing like that. It's all completely different. Don't worry about it. Just do it. Just Ask a higher power that you don't believe in for help. And when help comes, the slightest bit of help, 
I allow that that's my higher power. And that little bit of help that I got, I, one time I was, I was going to drink, and I, I, I prayed, and I said, get me out of this. And I got through that day. And so I put that on the list of, okay, here's a time where it worked. And I built those up. And over a period of time, I now don't have to pray to the nothing. Because when I pray, I'm praying to that power that is real in my life that has kept me sober. Because it really has. I couldn't stay sober two days. And I've been sober a long time now, but not as long as you, Patrick. <laughs> I think it, I think it's a great question that Reed brings up. Uh, spiritual aspects. Uh, a lot of newcomers sometimes bring that up when they're struggling with it. Are, maybe unconsciously or consciously looking for a way out. So I think what I would tell that person is, it's important to have a higher power, you know, use the group if you want to, use your sponsor's higher power, but let's get going with the steps. Let's just start this process. We'll get to more of that later, um, and you can come up with your own spiritual aspect, whatever the newcomers is. And then the the one story I heard in a meeting, uh, I got two guys in my hometown that have both got more than 30 years. And one is a God-fearing, God-loving Catholic, and the other is an atheist. The God-fearing guy and the atheist are longtime friends. And they often say in a meeting, you know, I believe in God, and he doesn't. But we both end up here, and we're both sober. You can be in any religion you want. You can be in no religion you want. It, you know, we, this, is, this is the great equalizer, this this group. That's what I love about it. I love that you call it the great equalizer because alcohol is that too. Um, and um, I identify as an atheist and I don't believe in an entity, but there is something that works in my life. And it was really important to me, Don, when I heard, I don't know, maybe two or three months sober, I heard you speaking and you brought up that thing about the word God and the problem that you had with that word for the longest time. And, and that instantly let me let go of that problem that I had with that word. And I was able to use the word God, and it doesn't matter what you guys think it means. I know what I mean when I say it. But what I absolutely love is that simple definition of religion is someone telling me how to practice spirituality. And in this, I practice my own spirituality. Now, I'm given some guidelines in the beginning uh, and some basic ideas of try praying, ask to be kept sober, thank for being sober. But it's not that I have to pray to a particular image of a God or a concept of a God or anything like that. And that was the, the, the thing that changed for me. And, and yes, religion, it smacks of religion. Yes, there is Christianity all in this program. There is no doubt about it. That's the roots. It is the root. And it's there. And here in the South, we close far too many meetings with the Lord's Prayer. But that's what we do. I needed help. And I found that in these rooms, the help that I was looking for was available. And that even though there is... Christianity woven into this program, it doesn't mean that I have to be Christian. Those things that don't work for me, I ignore. Occasionally I rail about them. Um, <laughs> but for the most part, it's just, it, it's just another thing. 
I get to practice spirituality in a way that works for me. And what I love is the recommendation of trying things on and see what fits and then discard what doesn't. And that's what I've done. And through that process over the years, I have found my own way of being spiritual that works for me. And the cool thing is, I don't know, have to know why it works. I don't have to know how it works. I just know that if I do these things, I don't want to drink. And my life generally goes, my life goes as my life is going to go. I'm generally better at living life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's it all works, I want. It helps. It's all I want. I mean, I just, I, I came in here because alcohol was killing me and I didn't know how to stop drinking and I needed alcohol to live. And then what I got in here was so much more than stopping drinking. You know, I love the phrase that it's a design for living that works. That's what I got. I got the, I got the user's manual, finally. When I first got sober, I talked to a UU minister, and I was going, I just don't know about this whole thing of God and AA. They're talking about depending on God. And she said, well, describe the God that you don't believe in. So I described, and then she said, I don't believe in that God either. And she said, I always ask this question, and invariably I can say, I don't believe in that God either. Interesting. Yeah. The squish God. Yeah. <laughs> because it's not, it's different. It's really different. Let go and let God is, it's just letting go. Just, I canceled all my reservations. <laughs> Patrick. Yes, sir. Thank you for being here. Thank, Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you for being here. You caught us off guard. Yeah. <laughs> thank yeah. you first. Well, thank you more. <laughs> it was a pleasure. It really was. It really was. It's great having a cup of coffee with you guys. Ooh, good idea. Let's get some more. But first, we got to clear this owl out of the area. Let's boil it. Back off. Catch it. Let's boil Back. it. Thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. Visit us at boiledowlaa.org or email giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org. Please note, Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of AA and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services. ever had to take a pee break in the middle of this they have okay i'm because i'm seeing a lot of fluids we have but we have had yeah. we've, we've had a guest do that yeah i mean we, we and don were. totally announced it too oh did he? yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're going to be taking a short break because doofus over here has got to go to the restroom well you can do what we do we we wear catheters for the recording oh that's that's very oh nice. i was just peeing in the floor you probably <laughs> thought it was the cat i thought the whole time <laughs>